Hello friends, it's Jenkins here from Dota Alchemy, and uh, I have a special guest today, my good old friend Nusham Dota. Say hello. Uh, we're bringing you episode 2 of Alchemy Answers. Okay, somebody says, that's the best micro guide I've seen so far. Wow, it sounds like I just selected a question and <laughs> a compliment at the start of it on purpose, but I didn't. Uh, but I have a question. What heroes do you suggest to start practicing micro with? Uh, my, my suggestion for that would be to practice with heroes where the units all kind of do the same thing. For instance, like Nature's Prophet and Broodmother, those heroes are a lot easier to micro because uh, all of the, or even Naga Siren. Because all of the illusions, all of the all of the units, are are the same thing. So all you really need to know how to do is microing is how to micro the hero and how to micro the units. And then if you do the kind of the the select, um, the deselecting with with the shift, it's it's really really easy to micro super effectively. Like basically that'll that will allow you to take it kind of a step at a time where you can do that, become good with those micro heroes, which is going to help you with the harder micro heroes. And then you could start moving into like the beastmasters. Uh, the Meepos, the, the the heroes that you might actually want the other micro skills to to play to play those. The way that I was taught, and the way that I know most high level players think about micro, because it's just like a very common theme, is like they basically will categorize like a certain type of like summon or whatever you're looking at. Like say for a control group, like three will be your control, or five will be your damage, or one will be everything, and two will be everything minus one thing. So for example, in like Warcraft 3, which is obviously where like Dota comes from, like the most common way to play was one would be your army, and two would be your army minus your hero. But uh, I know there's still a lot of people who do this anyway. For example, like Meepo, I know like No-Tail, I'm pretty sure his buttons are what I use, and it's one would be all your Meepos, two would be all your Meepos minus your main one. So like for example, if you're going to poof on someone, you'd press two and then you know do your poof combo and then blink in on your main guy. And then after that, you just do one control group for each individual thing. So like three, four, five, six will just be... One, two, three, four. Or sorry, one would be F one, and then two, three, four, five would be three, four, five, six. It's a little confusing because they're off by one, but with, I think with... the easiest thing to share with people that will help them learn micro heroes, if say someone's trying to learn Chan or Enchantress particularly, is one of the easiest ways to micro those heroes is you have a button. Whether it's, for example, I do Control Group one, and I'll control everything. Just having a button that controls everything. So, for example, I, if anything, I waste the keybind, so it's better to just have select all units bound, and like get used to using that. And then having one that's just all your summons minus your hero is really important as well, in my opinion. So you can micro hero around. So, like for example, say you want to just dive a tower, right? If anything, a lot of people kind of look at creeps as like a big meat shield. You can kind of just like click them into the tower and not worry about it. But you don't really want to be doing that with your own hero, right? Because like obviously you run the risk of just killing yourself, which is way more valuable than your creeps probably. And then. Uh, yeah, so what I meant by like the categorizing your creeps, like for example, on Chenner and Chantress, like three and four will always be my setup. Like usually you want to do it in like a numerical order of how you want to be pressing your buttons. So for example, if say I wanted to troll net someone into a centaur stomp, right? You would do what's first. So again, you want to troll net them first. So that would be three. And then four would be your centaur. So you're going to follow that up. And then after that, five and six is usually your useless creeps so that they're at least bound. But some people don't even waste keybinds on that. You don't have to. Technically, you can just use, you know, control. Yeah, dude, that's example, a dank setup. I didn't know you did that. That's that's pretty intense. That's a that, that's actually something I'm gonna start doing. Doing so, in, the, in the order. So you just set it up in an order. Yes. So yeah, three, four, five. Smart. So for example, it's like you ch you net them into a centaur stomp, into another centaur stomp, or like for example, an Ursa clap. Typically, you like because of how the creeps work and like prioritization with like how you want your creeps to be used. 
typically five and six are going to be useless or farming creeps. So for example, five and six are usually going to be like alpha wolves, ogres, uh, harpy creeps, I don't know, ancients with just auras or like satyrs. Satyrs is most common. I have on six or five or wildkins. So for example, if I have like three centaurs, right? Instead of doing four, five, six for each centaur, they'll just do four would equal all centaurs. Mm -hmm. So you can just do, you know, four, Q, tab, Q, tab, Q, and like chain it that way. But sometimes you, the risk you run with doing that and why I stopped doing that is because say you have all your centaurs in one control group. When you go to follow up your stun, what if you press four and you stun, but the centaur you picked happened right to be the one. one in the back? Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's like that the big sense. risk you run. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, for shit like Wildkins, it's actually, just, it's fine to do because you're not going to miss it, right? <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah, you press like, tornado. so for example, you like press five and then you just, Q-tab, 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 and then once you spawn all the tornadoes, you box all the tornadoes up. You can actually double-click the tornadoes and it'll select all of them. Same with any creep, by the way. If you double-click any creep, it'll select all the units that are the same. So, like, if you double-click a centaur, you'll get all your centaurs. So, anyways, if you double-click your wild, your, like, your wildkin tornadoes or you box them, you can put that on six so that you can move them around, you know what I mean? So you can press six, right-click it on someone. Press six, move them around. Micro's pretty pretty intense honestly it, just, it intense, just it just depends on the hero i even like with lichen it's even something i had to get really good with or else you're just not it's not, it's, well it's a good hero it's not like it's not worth picking it but there's certain patches where if you can't micro something well it's not worth picking it like you need to be able to to you can't just be lazy and not have a bind for the necro unit on lichen like it it, it purges like you have to have a bind for that yeah. period a friend and I have had a lot of success in the low legend bracket in running an aggressive dual offlane like Skyaxe. We will always be winning our lane and either making them abandon it, uh, giving us towers, or throw heroes at the lane, giving us space. We are not sure how to go from there as we rely on our team to use the advantage we are giving them. How can we help the team to take advantage of our lead, either through playstyle, items, or picks? And are we in pubs putting too much into these pro lanes that rely on well-rounded teams and cooperative teammates? Uh, that's a good question. You, you can go I first. I have like a very good answer for that. Basically, I think a lot of that comes down to base, like taking your lane advantage and having a game game impact elsewhere. Like you can't just win one lane. That's not how Dota works. Like sure, it feels good to get them to go out of the lane, but once they leave, you need to realize why you were there in the first place. So, for example, if you were there to pressure, say. I don't know, Bloodseeker, right? If Bloodseeker leaves, then why are you even there anymore, right? Because again, you're only up there to pressure Bloodseeker. It's kind of a harder concept to understand because most people don't really know why they're running the lane to begin with. But more or less, you need to transfer your advantage elsewhere. It's not good enough just to make space if... Because your team's not normally going to make use of the space. And uh, the easiest way to do that, in my opinion, is to rotate the support out. That's like the most common thing you'll see is like, once you win the lane, to like 2v2 or 2v1 or whatever, if you're running a dual lane particularly, since that's what the uh, question said. Like, uh, typically that core hero, once he gains an advantage, he doesn't need the help anymore. So you can kind of like use your advantage to go elsewhere. And if you're winning the lane as far as you say, typically the four roll or whoever the support is out there will be so big that like he will basically be as strong, if not stronger than whoever he rotates to. So hey, for you example- just, You can like, just go win another lane and then you're yeah, still winning Yeah, so for bot. example, if like you're level three sky because you just destroyed lanes. top, Chances are, when you go to the other lanes, they're not going to be that high level anyway, because you you know you were winning so hard anyway. So when you go to the other lanes, you should feel like you have a huge impact. It's almost like fighting like a noob or something. You know, like you choke, and like this guy has like no farm or levels. You're going to feel really strong. And uh, basically, it's just yeah. The main emphasis is to just transfer your advantage elsewhere because putting too much focus in one area of the map is typically not the way to play. 
Yeah, I think I think it's just um, it's a matter of getting a pretty good a gauge on it just by playing a lot. Uh, it's not something that's like super easy. A lot of the time, you'll overstay your welcome in a lane as a four roll when you actually should have went somewhere else. Uh, but it's okay because a lot of the time you're so huge that it doesn't really matter. Like for instance, I've played a lot of Pudge lately where I'll go into the off lane and there hits a point where I know I should leave, and sometimes I'll stay past that point, lose a bunch of HP, and then it's like, oh okay. I should just leave my my offlaner here to CS because there's no there's no more like kill potential. You know what I mean? It's like even if there is, who who gives a damn? I I I would be better off like I can roam now. There's a lot of reasons that I can leave, and it's not always like super obvious. So for the particular example that you're talking about with Sky Axe, uh, Sky would obviously be the hero that rotates. Uh, but something I do want to say also when you're playing the axe in that lane there's a certain timing where you would also want to rotate as well. So usually with Axe, you'll pick up a Vanguard, and you can occupy the enemy's kind of uh, safe lane jungle area, which is going to result in them obviously getting a lot less farm, and then push the creep wave out, occupy the jungle. You can also take Ancients, which is really good. And what you want to do is you want to try to accelerate your farm using that space that you have until you get the blink, and then that's when you rotate, and you kill wh whoever the most important hero that needs to die on the enemy team is. You want to rotate there, with, with the Blink Dagger and kill. So like Nusham was saying, you want to transition your advantage to the other lanes. Use the fact that you can get that accelerated farm in that lane. Obviously, if you're acting, you're dominating, usually you'll go for a Vanguard first, which means you, you don't really want to just run at another lane with a Vanguard unless there's a really good reason for it. Like if you have like a Pugna mid or something and all you need to do is go tank the tower, then yeah, you can transition your advantage that way. But a lot of the time where you can transition your advantage as the offlaner is that you actually need to get that Blink Dagger timing or some other item where you can't just run you can't just run at people and really the best thing to do was just to do exactly what you're doing at the start which is apply pressure on that lane but do it on your own so your support can leave and then just try to get as much farm as you can until you can transition out of that lane and then slowly but surely you'll gain this advantage and even if your team is a bunch of idiots they they will know how to use that advantage as long as you're running around and taking towers everybody in dota knows how to hit neutral creeps in fact that's probably one of the biggest bane banes of a lot of these lower ranked players is that they'll just hit neutral creeps. Everybody knows how to do that. Exactly. So it if doesn't you free up a lot of space on the map. So basically like it's the same as pressuring. Like if you pressure them out of the lane, it's like I said at the beginning, if you don't understand where you're going, like you basically are doing your job and then once they leave, you're not doing your job. It's like yeah. it's really that yeah. easy to summarize. It's like it's pretty simple. Say they leave the safe lane and go to the off lane. Sometimes your job might be to just go and camp mid instead. So it's really important to understand again. Once one thing happens, right? Like there's basically like an order of steps, and once the first part is done with, you need to kind of recognize what the second part is. So, hey, I got one major question. When you're playing offlane, I think it's better if we don't creep block because the opponents will creep block, and if they are even average in blocking, then our creeps will meet in the opponent's safe lane tower. Uh, as an offlaner, that's what we want, right? If I'm wrong, tell me where I made the mistake. I've tried that, believe me, I've tried that, but usually what happens is the carry's just blocking the creeps. He notices that his creep wave, or your creep wave, is going to go into his tower, so he just runs up and, grab, and grabs the wave, because that's just that's just how the timing works. So I would say that um, you probably don't want that, because then it's going to be right outside his tower, which is kind of the perfect position for the carry, since then the, you, can't, you can't really 
kill the carry or apply a lot of pressure unless you have something like a, like a Skyrath. Like, you'd rather have a little bit of space between the wave and the tower, so that way you can be a huge bullet, you wind ranger or something like that. Doom with the Infernal Blade. Like, there's a lot of reasons you would want to walk up and hit a carry, but if they're, like, some ranged hero, they're just sitting under the tower, last hitting, but the tower's not hitting the creep wave, that's worse. There's also, that's like, a worse. lot of laners who would want... They would rather farm under the tower than to be away from... Like, it's basically safer for them and better for them overall to be there anyway. So I, I think it's so not too. Necessarily, you kind of give them what they want in a, in a yeah. sense. Because like they're not expected to win the lane, they're just kind of getting creeps. They're Although, not necessarily trying to win like level 1. But if it's like a dual lane where you're expected to fight each other, then yes, I think that's good. Yeah, I was going to say actually, I do think though that pushing the very first wave is very, very good. Doing what you said uh, in the question is not going to consistently put your wave in their tower, but hitting the creep wave will. Like if you can... If you can pressure lane so much that you can just keep hitting the hitting the creep, creeps without taking a lot of harass and you can tank the creep wave without taking a lot of harass and you're going to push your wave into their tower which is going to give you level two before they get it and a lot of the time if you get level two before they get it especially with something like a sky axe uh it's almost they can't recover from that like it's it's really really easy to pressure two level ones if you have two level twos so i would say that like to kind of follow up on the question not really an answer to the question but it is good in the current patch if you're running dual off lanes to to try to just whack the creeps. Honestly, even with both heroes, like kill the range creep. Like you want the wave to push also, into them. Uh, an easy way to basically like uh, summarize what you're saying too. That also helps with like the new patch. Basically, the neutrals don't spawn until minute, and typically when you push, you want to do that so you can pull the side. Obviously, people might block it with wards or whatever, but uh, if they don't in general, I feel like Jengen said pretty much pushing is push and then pull. Yeah, so basically with that change in the patch where they don't spawn for a minute, I feel like doing it specifically, like, just because you asked very particularly on the first wave, uh, I don't think it's as good as, say, it could have been. But obviously the creeps didn't work like that before, so. I've been seeing these kind of videos for some time, and this is on a, um, on a top five heroes of the patch video. I've been seeing these kinds of videos for some time, but now I'm curious, would it be worth practicing these meta heroes even if I haven't played them before? I mean, there are also other guides that say that you should only have at most 20 heroes in your playlist, but what if these meta heroes aren't there? Would it still be worth practicing them? I think that, uh, it's, it depends. I mean, patches, with the bi-weekly patches, they don't last very long, so, uh, you can get kind of screwed if there's none of your heroes in the meta, but there are definitely easy ones, there are definitely easy ones to learn. I would say focus on, like, one to, one to two heroes, like, for instance, I wasn't a great Windranger prior to this patch, and I watched a bunch of replays and I learned fairly quickly, but could I play everything as a full roll this patch? That probably not, you know, but as 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 long as as long as you're you're picking you're picking a few and you're just having realistic expectations about how quickly you can practice something and you're watching replays and you're seeing what people do and not kind of having that ego where it's like, "Oh, I'm just going to go pub with it," you know, like because the thing is, when you learn one of these heroes, with pubbing, so you take a hundred pubs to learn where you could just watch you could just watch a replay and see exactly how it's played at a high level and you can just replicate that. Even if you don't necessarily understand it, like you can you can do movements and then you go into a pub and then you understand, oh, this is why this this happened. So I would say, yeah, just be realistic about your expectations. You can learn a few of the heroes, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily try to to go to ham. Like I wouldn't do a bunch of heroes at once. I, I would kind of stick to like one to three heroes if you're looking to pub and also win MMR. Learn them and also one MMR. I don't know. What do you think? I think basically metas come and go. Learning a hero is never going to be a bad thing. But if, say, you're trying to play a competitive or something and there's a rush, then maybe I can see it. But 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I would take away from that is, I think you've actually talked about this before when uh, you started playing competitive. Basically, the more heroes you add to your hero pool, like every meta, even if, say, Lycan's not meta next two patches, if you learned him on this patch, the next time he comes meta, well, there you go, you have Lycan in your uh, repertoire. So I think it's really good to learn heroes that are meta at the time. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is too. I just always try to remind myself to be realistic about, like, what I can actually play at a high level, because, like, for, like, for instance, something like Windranger, Lashrac, BS, we were screaming at BSJ the other day, and I actually, I played with him, with, and I played Lashrac, so he's seen me go, like, 20-1 and one with Lashrac or something, but that's in a pub, right, so it's that, that's different, and when he asks, like, competitively can I play it, I think back to all of the games where we're playing against, like, really, really high-level players, and... It, it, would it would that be different like what i know what to do and my answer was kind of kind of no like i haven't despite having really good a couple of really good games on it i would i would say no i can't play that at a high level and that's that's just because i think uh that lashrak is one of those heroes where i wasn't i wasn't 100 percent confident on that hero coming into this patch but he became really really good and there's just other heroes within this patch that i have focused a lot more time and practice and uh, replay analysis and stuff, learning. So I'm actually good with those ones, but like not everything in the patch. But once you know, once the meta changes and these heroes that I that I did learn become like Nushan was saying, become more powerful again. Like when Windrader becomes powerful again, I'll still be good at it. You know, you you don't you don't forget how to ride a bicycle ten years later. You know what I mean? These heroes are pretty pretty similar the way that they're the way that they're played. But then I'll have an opportunity then to learn Lashrak to the point where I can play it at an extremely high level. You know what I mean? I mean, it's easy to summarize have a hero puddle add a few more heroes every patch eventually puddle grows if you're trying to learn new heroes or your focus is just say you're newer to the game i think picking a role and just focusing on one role is the most important advice i could give because if you're trying to learn every single role every single meta hero that's just not going to work out well <laughs> random shit oh this is a good question for you new sham opinion on invoker in the current meta I think he's too susceptible to being ran out early, and his laning is just way too weak, and this is a laning meta. But I think he'd have the right group fight, and he has the ability to get the space needed to, like, get up his core items. He's really good. Like, I think he's one of those heroes that, hypothetically, he's really good. He has a lot of damage output. You know, he's great in group fights. He can split push. He can do a lot of stuff, right? But the problem is all these heroes like Lycan and shit are really popular right now. They'll just run you down before you can do anything. He's too slow, is what you're saying. He's too slow paced. Basically, he has too much build up, yeah. Because even, like, uh, there were games he got ran over in the major. I think he got picked, like, two or three times. But the one game where he did get farmed, he still lost just because it's just, it's just not enough. I think. Like, outside um, of competitive, though, I think he's great in pubs. I think he's a fun hero and all. But I think in this patch, if you're looking at things, like, objectively in terms of, like, say, competitive, I think he's, it's just too hard to make work. It's not I think there's quite out. a few heroes like that, actually, right now, where there's they've been buffed significantly. And maybe even their pub win rate's pretty high, but you just never see them in competitive. I think Spectre's a, a weird case because she's kind of getting picked a little bit more because she's been buffed to the point. But for a long time, Spectre has had this 60% ridiculous win rate and never picked. And I think it's I think it's for that reason because it's just the hero has been a little bit too slow and not good enough to justify that. But I think that I think that the hero is good enough now. Like you pick up a Vanguard and this year the talents are just ridiculous. Like you feel you feel immortal with the with the talent build that everybody's going now, but. Uh, I think I think the hero is good enough to justify, but I think there's a lot of heroes where it's like, okay, why isn't this hero getting picked? Like Invoker zero mana cost Invoke. What the hell? Invoker players have been complaining about Invoke having that mana cost for so long, like saying, like, oh, he'll be broken when that gets changed. It's not broken, but that's because it, the it, the meta just doesn't work for him. 
Th that's all. Thanks for watching, guys. Uh, I'll catch you guys. Catch you guys on the flip side. Later, you guys.